Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Last week I started a series called Behind the Scenes. And uh, by way of introduction, I just used my love for movies it's amazing how God speaks to me. He speaks to me, you know, all the time. In actual fact, this is, my, this is my theology, that God loves me, and as a lover of me, He wants to speak to me, so I don't go looking for God to speak. I just kind of just, just wait for Him to speak, and He speaks invariably through all manner of ways, and uh, one of those ways is every time I go to the movies, I'm, like, I'm, I'm that guy who's on the phone. I'm always t- taking notes because I feel like God drops thoughts in my heart in movies. Uh, it's one way God speaks to me. He speaks to me many ways, but th- this is one way. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I was at the movie recently, and uh, you know, at the end of the film, all these names came up. We know them as the credits, and it's amazing. There were so many names, people I did not see in the movie, people I didn't know, people I've never heard of before. But I felt God speak to me in that moment and say, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes for you to enjoy what you see on the screen. And I started to think about how that applies to many areas of life, particularly my personal life and private life as a Christian. What you see up here, what you see me do week after week after week is the smallest part of my life. I'm up here for about 40 minutes, give or take, but it is the smallest part of my life. And if it wasn't for the many hours of unseen elements of my life, I would not be able to do what I do up here for 40 minutes for the last 20 years. This is the smallest part. It's an enjoyable part. I love it. I am a guy that is loud and proud. I am an extrovert by nature. I've always liked to be the center of attention. I am the party animal and I I do enjoy all of that. But know this, it is the smallest part of my life. For the last 30 years, my disciplines have been, the first thing I do is to get alone by myself solitude, in silence, and read the Scriptures. And so if there's anything I've ever shared that has blessed or refreshed or encouraged you, I want you to know it did not come out of this moment. It came out of the moments that are behind the scenes. And that prompted me to want to talk about some of those disciplines. Last week we looked at prayer. Today I want to look at worship. I want to look at what worship is. And by looking at what worship is, we're going to look at what worship is not, because I think we don't fully understand what true worship is. And so I want to read to you from the book of John. John is one of those incredibly privileged people that had the opportunity to be alive when Jesus was on the planet, and he saw many things that Jesus did, and he heard many things that Jesus said. And as he was coming towards the end of his life, he wrote down these things for us to draw from. And he says in John chapter 4, speaking of an encounter that Jesus had with a woman at the well. Basically, Jesus had been traveling with his disciples. Um, Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He was resting by a well. The disciples went off to get some food. And this woman came up to him and they got into a bit of a conversation. And that's where we pick up this account right now. It said, the woman said to Jesus, I see that you're a prophet. Jesus had just nailed her on a couple of areas in her life. And she's like, wow, she must be a prophet. He says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the people must worship in Jerusalem. 
Jesus told her, Believe me, a time is coming when you Samaritans won't worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You don't know what you're worshipping. We Jews know what we are worshipping because salvation comes from the Jews. Indeed, the time is coming and it is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking, get this, for people like that to worship Him. God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Everyone say truth. We must worship God in truth. That's what Jesus himself said. And if it's possible to worship Jesus in truth, it's also fair to say that there is a false worship that is out there. If it's possible to have true worship, it's possible to have false worship. Is that fair to say? So you know what? It's not enough to say, I worship. We need to know whether or not our worship is actually acceptable to God or unacceptable to God. And to know whether it is acceptable or unacceptable, we need to do ourselves a little bit of homework, and that's what I trust to do this morning. So what is worship? The first question I want to look at is, what is worship? And I want to demystify it. I want to de-Christianize it. I want to de-churchify it. And just look at what is worship? Because every one of us are worshippers. You may not be a Christian, but know this, you are a worshipper. If you understand what true worship is, you will understand that every person in this room is a worshipper. You may be an atheist, but you are still a worshipper. Because worship is whatever or whoever has first place or pole position in your life. That's all worship is. What has first place in your life? What has pole position in your life? See, everything, every person has something that they give themselves to first. Every person has someone they give themselves to first. And I'm here to say, whatever you give first in your life is indeed what you worship. Every one of us in this room were created by God in the image of God to worship God. And if we don't worship God, we will worship someone or something else. Is that fair to say? It might be the person you married. You may have heard this saying, oh, he worships the ground she walks on. What are they saying? She has first place in his life. Some of you say, oh, they worship their kids. What are they saying? They are saying that the kids come first before the marriage, before anything else. It's kids first. Now, I think we should place our families high on our priorities. I really do. But when it starts messing with our relationship with God, it can become problematic. Some people aren't even, some people are even more superficial. It's not people that they worship, it's things. For some people, it's sports cars. I mean, you can bump into your wife, that's okay, but don't scratch my car. Are there any car lovers out there? Maybe it's musical instruments, just, just you know, the drums. Oh, I mean, look, even the, the lighting up, it's just like, oh, just like. Now, again, I'm not against having a love for things, but it's got to be in its place. And this is where we need to get honest. How, where, where are these things in our lives and what place 
do they have? If we were to find out what true worship is, the kind of worship Jesus was talking about to this woman at the well, we need to get honest with ourselves. Because when Jesus was talking about true worshippers, I don't think he was talking about worshipping cars or equipment or things or relationships or sport. Some people love sport more than they love God. Some people, according to the Scriptures, love their stomachs. It's their God that has become, oh sorry, their stomach that has become their God. And so they don't worship Buddha, they just kind of become Buddha. (laughs) Are you with me this morning? You can worship anything, you can worship donuts. If all you think about is donuts, there's a good chance that that's what you worship. It may seem ridiculous because that's not where you're at, but someone right now, I'm causing them to stumble. They've just got donuts in their eyes. You can worship anything. Don't say, I'm not a worshipper. Every one of us is a worshipper. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a worshipper. So two questions. Who or what has pole position in your life? It's a good question to ask. Is it your husband or wife? Is it your children? Is it your job? Is it sport? Or is it, as God intended, God himself? Whatever you put first in your life will influence your life the most. And then my question would be, is it true worship? Is what you worship acceptable to God as true worship. And so four things we're going to look at very quickly in and around this subject of true worship. Number one, true worship puts God first. True worship puts God first. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 says, do not bow down to any idol or worship it because I am the Lord your God and I will not tolerate no rivals I bring punishment on those who hate me and their descendants down to the third and fourth generation. In other words, it's the focus of our worship that makes it acceptable or not. I'm just trying to keep this really simple. Whether it's acceptable with God or not, it just, just depends on the focus we place. And so you can love sport, but where does it, what place does it take in your life? Love your cars, love your musical equipment, uh, love your sporting equipment, all that. But what place does it have in your life? What makes worship acceptable or not really does depend on the priorities that we place. When we look back into history, we see that Lucifer was one of the angels that worshipped God. And he got, you know, this notion that, you know, he was as good as God. And so instead of worshipping God, his focus became more about himself than God. And then there's many references to how he was feeling at the time. You can read that for yourself in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. It talks about uh, this arrogance that grew within this angelic being called Lucifer. People tell us that, uh, or scholars tell us, that Lucifer was, was the archangel and he was in charge of the worship. 
And we see this conflict after, after many years of worshipping this God. He started asking himself, surely, surely I'm as good as God. Surely I can be like God. And as a result of this conflict, God kicked Lucifer out of heaven along with one third of the angels. We know them as demons today. And what you've got to understand about Lucifer is this. He's a fallen angel. He was cast out of heaven. He was brought down. And that's what he's been trying to do to people ever since is bring them down. And we see that with the very first people on the planet, Adam and Eve. It was Lucifer was right there. He's saying, please take a bite of this apple and you'll be like God. See, see what, what the Lucifer was trying to do is take the focus and attention off God and place it somewhere else. The devil wants you to place your worship elsewhere other than God himself. And, and when Adam and Eve thought that, wow, I can eat this fruit, which looks fantastic. I mean, it's not like, he's not, he's, not, he's not asking me to eat snails or anything. I mean, he's asking me to eat juicy red a- apples. I mean, who loves apples? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you know eat this donut. I mean, that's not, that's not a chore. This is not a dare. This is not like, eat this spider, eat this cockroach. This is like here. You know, it says when they saw the fruit was good, like, this is a no-brainer. I get to eat fruit that I love and I get to be like God. That's a good deal. And then we see that they disobeyed God and their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They literally ate themselves out of house and home. Tough crowd. (laughs) And that's what the challenge for us is, is to keep our devotion and our worship pure and holy and acceptable. How do we do that? By making sure that God himself has pole position in our life. I love my wife. We've been together for 30 years. On March the 17th, we're going to have a little bit of a celebration. March 17th is when I asked her out, and she became my girlfriend, and we've been together ever since 30 years. I love her more now than then. This is not an either or, you know, love God, hate your wife. It's not that. This is a both and. But making sure we get the order right. When Jesus was in the desert being tempted by the devil... And what was the devil trying to do? Bring Jesus down low. You can read it for yourself in Matthew 4. He challenges him three times with the Word of God. Even the devil knows the Word of God. And Jesus, on this last temptation, says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, it's a both and understanding. It's not worship at the expense of work and service. It's not service at the expense of worship. It's service and worship. But you've got to get the order right. Jesus said, with good reason, worship the Lord your God, first and foremost, and serve him only. Many people stop serving Jesus and stop going to church and blame the church for this, that, and the other because they serve, but they stopped worshiping. They lost the purpose of their service. If we are truly worshiping God, service will flow out of that. But when it just becomes about service, we're going to lose the heart of why we're serving. And Jesus was very intentful when he said, away from me, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. True worship then puts God first. Secondly, true worship is sacrificial. 
Sacrifice is the test of true worship. You see, every one of us, and this is the biggest complaint of every person I know today, is that my time is limited. My finances are limited. My giftings are limited. And you'd be in good company if that's the cry of your heart. Every one of us has limitations on our time, our talents, and our treasures. Every one of us does. And this is where the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of worship comes in. If it doesn't cost us anything, it's probably not true worship. What we sacrifice highlights what we worship. We will sacrifice, correct me if I'm wrong, our time. We will sacrifice our monies to do what has pole position in our life. You know, Adelaide has some of the greatest worshippers in this nation. They turn out rain, hail or shine. In sickness and in health, they come out in their droves, multiple thousands every Saturday afternoon. No matter what the cost, no matter whether they are winning or losing, no matter how inconvenient, we see them every week. There they are, singing, shouting, clapping, cheering, dancing, lifting up unholy hands. To the one they love and revere and ultimately worship, I speak of none other than the Port Adelaide Football Club. <laughs> it's worship. It is worship. If you run a camera over those feral blessed people, <laughs> and then you run a camera over those that are worshiping God, it looks similar. Because it's the same thing, it's worship. It looks the same because it is the same, it's worship. It's just the direction of the worship is different. One is to heaven, the other is to hell. Now the Adelaide Crows, that's different. Club aside, club preference aside, bear with me. It's a valid point. Someone who loves their club, loves their team, they're prepared to sacrifice. They will go when it's cold. They will go when they've got a cold. In actual fact, it's a, it's a bit of an indictment to a real fan to give them a free ticket. They don't want a free ticket, they want to pay. They want to pay the price. You don't support your club by just getting freebies. You've got to, it's going to cost you something. True worship will sacrifice, involve sacrifice. Sacrifice by nature, sorry, by nature means it will cost you when you stop and help somebody. It's going to cost you. These are Christian virtues, stopping to help somebody, but it's going to cost you time. How many times you've driven past someone who's broken down, you just, it's going to cost you time. 
It may cost you money. But that's the nature of true worship. When we say no to sex before marriage, uh, marriage as young single people are encouraged to do in this church, it's going to cost them something. It's going to cost them a life of being understood. That's not normal today. You make a stance like that, even, even in the nicest, most gracious way you can, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you. You might be teased, you might be misunderstood, you may have some things said about you. It's going to cost you. When we go to church, you know, I, I know we live in a busy world, but church should never become something that we do if we've got time. The moment church is not a priority, it, 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 it's a showing us we're slipping. Because God loves his church. But to get to church, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. And I'm here not to be legalistic and legalistically impose something on you. But just to give us an opportunity to ask ourselves some very good questions. I mean, we can't say we're Christians and then just do whatever we want to do and call that Christianity. We can't say we worship and just assume that it's what pleases God. And so the nature of true worship is sacrificial. True worship, number three, is a lifestyle, not just an event. I love Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 in the message. It says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. In other words, worship isn't limited to style or expression. We call worship something that you do when you go to church and you sing, not the fast songs, but the slow songs, and the lighting's a certain way, and the dry. that's not... Worship in and of itself, it can be an expression. But worship is not limited to one expression. It's not limited to one place. You don't have to be in church to worship God. In actual fact, as it says in Romans, we should be able to go to work and offer our everyday ordinary lives as worship to Him. And, and, and when we are encouraged to do things that we know aren't pleasing to God and we say, no, we are worshiping God. When someone just wants to steal certain things, pencils or pens or things that the boss won't mind, and we say, no, no, I, I, just, I just don't, I, I can't do that. We are worshipping God. When people are asking us to look at things on the internet that just, just aren't going to bless your family or bless your life or please God, and we say, no, we're worshipping God. We're taking our ordinary, average, everyday lives and just using it 
not to be legalistic, not to be ritualistic, but to be worshippers of God. Amen. You know, it's not about whether you do hymns or contemporary songs. It's not about whether you have drums. I mean, there have been arguments and divisions in the church. I mean, when the, when the drums first came into church, it was like they let the devil in because the drums are of the devil. And just to miss the point. This is not worship. This is just an expression. But there are many expressions. I mentioned before, I, I love loud and, and, and I, I, love, I, I love those high energy moments. But it's not how my day starts. I, I think the moment we say, I'm just this kind of worshiper, I think we miss out on something. I have had times by myself in my silence and solitude around the scriptures, some of the most incredible worship times, and there was nobody else there to experience it with. And I've had some of my most amazing worship times down here with the young people jumping up and down, being pushed from pillar to post in the sweaty mosh pit of worship and praise that takes place Sunday by Sunday. And I love both because I realize worship's not limited to style, expression, or place. True worship is a lifestyle. And I want to encourage you to take your average, ordinary lives. Wherever you work, if you work at McDonald's or if you are a lawyer or a doctor or wherever you may be, take God with you and worship Him and let your life be better as a result. And my fourth point this morning is simply true worship creates its own atmosphere. True worship creates its own atmosphere. In other words, it's not dependent upon the circumstance or the situation. It just creates its own environment. In Acts chapter 16, there's an incredible account of two men by the name of Paul and Silas. They are lovers of God, true worshippers of God. They stand up before the people. They declare the praises of God. They do signs and wonders and miracles. The religious people don't like that. A riot starts. They get thrown into jail. They're thinking, my goodness, why are we in jail? We're doing the will of God, and here we are in jail. They've been beaten. They've been whipped. It's 12 o'clock midnight, the darkest hour. They find themselves in this pit, this hole of a dungeon. Now, many of you would forgive them for whinging and complaining and leaving the church, saying, if that's Christianity, forget it. How many have ever felt like that or heard somebody say that? We think if something bad goes wrong, God has let you down and you have an excuse to get out of going to church. Well, that's not how these true worshippers viewed life. They found themselves in this predicament and they thought, you know what? They can take the church building off us. They can take the music off us. They can take us away from our family and friends and fellow believers. But one thing they can't take from me is a heart of worship. And so Paul and Silas, and I don't know how well they sung. I don't know if they had voices like angels or not. I don't know. But this I know, they had a heart that worshipped God. And I imagine Paul looking over to Silas in their stocks and in their chains and saying, how's that new song go again? You're my healer. How's that go? Can you give us a bar or two, Silas? And so he starts singing, you're my healer. I believe that you're my here. Oh, that's it, that's the one, keep going, keep going. And then they both start singing. And here's the amazing thing you've got to understand about God. When we start singing the praise of God, God gets excited. 
God likes worship going up to Him. And here's the thing that happened that day. God got so excited, as often happens, when you hear a tune you like, have you ever started tapping your foot? Have you ever started tapping your foot when a song you like? Well, that's what God did on this particular day. He starts tapping his foot along to the songs that they're singing. And God got really excited. And what happened? There was an earthquake. This is good theology now. Come on. He's tapping his foot. Because we all do that. You hear a song you like, you find yourself tapping and humming. and Doing the 80s. I mean, God's probably just doing his 80s thing. Just... And you know, every time he's like, just bang, just Bang, the, the ground shaking. The chains break off. The prison doors open. Incredible miracle takes place. Why? Because true worshippers aren't dictated to by their circumstances and situations. I'm tired of the language Christians use. How you doing? Oh, not bad considering the circumstances. What? I mean, what? How you doing? Oh, not bad considering this financial climate that we're in. Serious? Serious? You know, one of the things that was in my heart before we planted this church was I was sick to death of seeing miserable, namby-pamby, useless people that called themselves Christians. I hated that. Who were forever living under this cloud, under this circumstance, under this situation. And so God put something in me that we would start a centre of victorious Christians. Hence why we called our church Victory Christian Centre, where we would have a centre of victorious Christians. Just people who weren't under the circumstances, under the weather, or under the financial climate. I mean, come on. I thought it was under the blood of Jesus. I just thought, I just thought. I just thought we were the head, not the tail. I, I, just, I just thought the Bible was true. Sorry, excuse me. Excuse me for actually believing the Bible. You know, seriously, I remember as a young guy, you know, just getting excited about the things of God. And some of the older, more respectable, wiser Christians, you know, sort of, sort of looking down at me. As if I'd lost my marbles. It was, it, was, it was their thoughts and their teachings and the Word of God that they put me onto that gave me this excitement. True worshippers create their own environment. They create their own atmosphere. And so can you. When Jesus himself, as our band come up, was hanging upon the cross, he was singing, Always look on the bright. No, sorry, that's another film. Sorry. In the midst of being betrayed, let down, beaten, battered, bruised, crucified, he looks down at those that are mocking and creates his own atmosphere. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He could look beyond what was taking place and see what was really happening. They just, they just don't get it. They just don't know what they're doing. I trust through what has been shared this morning that we'd have a greater appreciation for what true worship is and a greater desire to become 
true worshipers. The four points that I've made today are seen over and over and over again in the life of Christ. Our job as Christians is not to make Jesus more like us. It's our role and responsibility to become more like Him. Jesus only ever did what He saw the Father doing. He always put God the Father first. He only ever did what the Father was doing. And so when the devil tempted him to say, turn stones into bread, Jesus said, me and my dad, we don't do stones to bread. What we do, we take bread and we multiply bread. That's a cool trick. That's what the Father does. He takes bread and makes more bread. We don't do stones to bread. That's weird, dude. And he did what the Father was doing. He put the Father first. We see the life of Jesus was sacrificial. Always putting others first. We see Jesus creating his own atmosphere and environment. And we see Jesus embracing worship as a lifestyle. Walking along the beach, walking along the fields, and just using teaching moment after teaching moment. Hey, Peter, go get me some figs. No figs? Be cursed in Jesus' name. <laughs> in my name. <laughs> no, what? Creates discussion, just worshipping God. Any, any chance he can to point this bunch of disciples to the bigger picture. That's our role. It's our privilege. I mentioned our prayer meeting this morning. I'll leave all the names out. But I had the privilege of being invited around someone's house to capitalize upon an event that we put on last year. So it's no good having events if we don't capitalize upon them. And so to be able to be around this couple's home that are in our church with these friends of theirs that were becoming friends of mine because we met them at an event and to be able to capitalize upon that. Just that's a sweet, sweet thing. I would be doing you an injustice in allowing us to make our life all about us. There's something bigger at play here. And I would strongly encourage you to embrace the bigness of our God and the bigness of the purpose God has for us. He's placed you in your school, university, workplace, or the shopping malls that you frequent for a purpose. Let's not just make it about the shops or the education or the pay pack. There's something more going on. There's something more. Hey, buy all the things you need to buy by all means. But make it as more than that. It's that you might meet that young lady that serves you on a regular basis, it, it might just be about her, not just what you're buying every week. Let, let, let's be bigger. Let's embrace a lifestyle of worship. When you go to work and you're complaining about the, you're the only Christian in the place, how about you just turn that around and say, what an incredible opportunity. 
What an incredible opportunity. Because maybe you're there as the only Christian for a purpose. And if we embrace a lifestyle of worship, we'll begin to see differently and change the atmosphere, change the spiritual climate in that place. That's why we're here, to be light and salt. You know my theory on salt and chips, don't you? You know that. When you put salt on chips, chips become salty. Yeah? But salt never becomes chippy. That's the influence we're meant to have. It's good theology to stand. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 